man, we really got to find that little stone boy. <laughs> but until we do, here is previously on Story Jazz, Oturo. Yes, Story Jazz. Thank you. Welcome. So we stole a boy from the people of small Big River Village. A boy named Artus who goes blah, 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 and can't talk the way that we talk. Yes, we assume that he is a stone boy, which later seems to have been confirmed by his adopted mother. But we don't know that. (laughs) (laughs) And while we were dragging him through the landscape... Big River Village got together and moved towards our village searching for shelter and support after their village was decimated by the evil, mysterious, mystical rain. They sent ahead Oturo and Bellop, who got attacked by an alligator, but then rescued by a puma. Yes, uh, Bellop was brought along because he can speak stone people speech, or artist speech. We're not quite sure which (laughs) yet. But they were too slow. We brought the boy to our great leader, the great elder. Yes, great yes, 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 great, great elder. elder. Yes, great, great elder. Um, sorry, it's a reflex. <laughs> and the great elder brought out an interesting shiny tool yes. to try to take the boy's life. <laughs> uh, blood, I mean, <laughs> to try to take the boy's blood. Blood, yes. But yes, this stone child showed a very adept ability to kick great elder in the groin <laughs> and escaped. Now we have just lost him. He has run into the reeds. And what we don't know is that... Oturo and Bellop have uh, arrived as well. So I suppose we'll jump right in then. Will we find the boy? <laughs> Will our heroes, uh, wait, our go- our antagonists? Will our nemesises succeed? Nemesis? Nemesis? Nemesen? Find out this week on a Story Jazz. Story Jazz Oturo. Hey everybody, welcome back to Story Jazz. Uh, It's lovely not to see you or hear you. I've missed you. I've uh, been craving to get another episode out. This story's been on my mind. Uh, How how are you doing, Sam? I'm doing pretty good, Softy. I've just, I'll I'll be honest, I just finished editing the previous episode, so like I'm in it, you know? I know everything. I'm I'm, I've, I'm, I have no idea what's going to happen, to be honest. I, I, I don't know. So, like, maybe you have an idea where we can start this episode. Like, what, what is our first scene? I think our first scene should be with the remainder of a big, small, big river, small village. <laughs> As they traverse the countryside towards long, big river village. All right. And I want to touch base with them and see where they are and then... We'll explore what our three goons and our artist Billup and Oturo are up to. Okay. Well Does that seem does that seem reasonable to you? You know what? That seems reasonable. I think that's I think that's an acceptable deal. Um, but you'll have to do me do me a solid uh And bring us in. And bring us in, yeah. <laughs> it is utter darkness. And then with a strike of flint against a rock that is not steel. (laughs) A candle lights, a small reed candle. And it is brought- Does that work? Shh, I'm in brilliance to the (laughs) scene. Did you make a candle out of (laughs) flammable, just, okay. The candle is brought over to another reed candle 
and they are passed about in a circle underneath a makeshift tent. The entirety of small Big River Village is gathered together as they pray for the safety of young artists, young Bella, and young Oturo. Matula's mother, whom we still haven't given a name, catches her daughter by the wrist as she flits between the people's legs. Come here, she says. What? You didn't let me go, Mom. Elder Karube didn't let me go. Silence now, child. Pray with us. Mm. That way at least you can do something for your friends. Mm -hmm. Matula is still holding the two little babies in their baskets. And they're and the babies are just like doing and dying. Like one of them is is sucking at her shoulder, and she keeps trying to like push it away. And just it's a it's chaotic. The other one is yanking at her hair. <laughs> but Matula gathers all her patience and stands there holding her mother's hand in prayer. Elder Karumbe speaks up. <clears throat> Everyone, thank you. Thank you for your thoughts, your energy, and your prayers. Thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Maturo and Bellop have gone for help, as you all know. We will leave at first light tomorrow, but we must first survive the night. Despite how much my fellow elders, and she glances at Aleki, may disagree with me. I believe this is the right move, the right choice for our village and the right risks we must take to survive, as one youngling so expertly reminded me. And she glances at Matula. <laughs> so come, douse your candles and stay the night together. And then Karumbe begins leading the tribe in prayer. Candles are raised, they're lowered, they're doused, and they're lit again. It's a prayer of life, death, and rebirth, that even if Oturo and Bella are to carry on this dangerous mission, and even if they die, they return to the earth once again to be reborn and contribute to the world around them in only a positive way. And this prayer is a reminder of just that. And it reminds Matula of what Oturo said to her just a few days ago about the fact that, yes, the plants eat us too. And a weird chill runs down her spine. Oh, actually, that, that might just be baby drool. <laughs> <laughs> a cold, slippery feeling runs down her spine. <laughs> As the candles are doused for the last time, her mother takes her aside and kneels um, in front of her and takes her hands and says, this was your first time praying with the entire tribe, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I know it seems a little much at first, but maybe it's easier if you and I do a little prayer just for us. Um, <clears throat> like prayers are going to bring them back. If they die, they're not even used to anyone, no matter what Elder Karumbis says. The two look up, startled at Eleki, 
who just, you know, has a thing for interrupting <laughs> heartfelt <laughs> conversations, apparently. <laughs> and Matula's mother gives him such a sharp look that he sort of stutters for a moment. And uh, Fine, I'll go bother somebody else's heartfelt conversation. <laughs> Matula follows the big man with her eyes, a little disconcerted. But her mother says, don't worry about him. You know the stories. Oturo probably told them to you about the beginning of time, the big river and the reeds were one. About the the great nose where the river comes from, yeah, carries yeah, the world. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, big runny, we call it. Ah, uh, big runny. She looks up into the sky and does a Catholic gesture. Not really, though. We're, we're not bad blasphemous. <laughs> You can't make fun of Catholicism. No, yeah, that's that's off limits for sure. <laughs> Catholicism has been made fun of too much. I can tell you're worried. Think about that. Think about what? The fact that you're worried is a beautiful thing. It expresses your love towards your friends or your family. But it but it also expresses expresses my uselessness. I want to be out there with them. It, it was my idea too. <laughs> okay, well. I suppose there is two ways that you could formulate this prayer then. You could pray to the reeds who give us stability and protection and ask them to protect your friends and protect you as you await their return. <laughs> or you could pray to the river and ask her to give you courage and give you a way to contribute to their quest. But the river, yeah, the river. I, I want to be helping on the quest. Matula's mother glances over at Karumbe to make sure she isn't listening. Maybe we better take this outside. And a few moments later, they're out in the pitch black. Um, their eyes take a while to adjust from the dim firelight to the even dimmer moonlight. Um, but once they do, they can see the field of stars above them and even a bit of a swirl of the Milky Way. And carefully they shift through the reeds to the river's edge, following the rushing. We really shouldn't be here with all the alligators, but... I could take an alligator. <laughs> I'm sure you can, hun. Um, here. Matula's mother kneels and um, dips a few fingers into the black mud at the river's edge. Matula already knows what's coming, and she puffs up her chest and holds out her face with pride. The two babies have taken interest again and uh, are uh, watching as Matula's mother raises two mud-blackened fingers to Matula's forehead. Speak your desire. Speak it to Big River. I want to help. I want to be uh, a, a warrior like you and a, a reed cutter like Aleki and a know-it-all like Oturo. <laughs> Good. I, I don't want to get left behind anymore. Reasonable. And I want Artis and Bella to come back safe. No matter what. what. 
You want to include Oturo in that or nah? Oh yeah, I guess Oturo too. <laughs> okay, cool. Because no matter what, that kind of sounded like you. It, like if Oturo died, you'd be okay with it. Okay, cool. That sounds great. Um, <laughs> good wishes, my dear. And she uses her mud blackened fingers to, to draw three squiggly lines, representing the big river, on Matula's forehead. As Matula looks up into the sky and closes her eyes. Feeling the drying, thickening sensation of the mud on her forehead, she also feels the first raindrop. Oh, shit! That's so good! Do we cut there? Yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, no! Okay. The poor... <laughs> oh, they're so poor. Poor people. Okay. Oh. So, let's jump to Oturo and... Bellop, an artist. Yeah? Yeah. Three eyes peer from the darkness of the reeds is it at three, three goons. Is it three eyes, though? Is it three it's eyes? It's not three eyes. <laughs> six eyes. Six pairs of eyes no, belonging wait, to three well, people. No, it's not six <laughs> pairs either, though. Is it? Uh, you did that on yes, purpose. Yes, you're right. Two triads of eyes. <laughs> Jesus, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Two three-eyed people. We didn't mention this before. Um, yeah, the big, small big river people are three-eyed and artists is zero-eyed. So there you have it, folks. So, a collection of some number of indistinguishable <laughs> eyes peer from the reeds into the thoroughfare in the midst of long big river village. And in that thoroughfare, three goons with their own sets of eyes peer about in the darkness looking for a runaway artist. Did you see him? Did you see which way he went? Year boy. Year little boy. Come out. We won't hurt you. I'm sure he believes that. I'm sure he's on his way to you right now. The eyebrow man does a complicated series of eyebrow gestures to say, Be quiet, guys. It's probably <laughs> easiest to find him if we're quiet and we split up and go through the reeds to try and find him there. You know, without making a lot of sound. It takes about a full minute for him to say all that. <laughs> I think it would be a good idea to split up and be quiet. Maybe we'll find him in the reeds somewhere if we're quiet. <laughs> the eyebrow man makes a complicated series of gestures that say, yeah, great idea, very original. <laughs> he rolls his eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Fine, says the woman. The three are carrying spears now. Yeah, slowly each of them draw spears from their pockets. <laughs> Te telescopic spears made by the stone people. <laughs> and they hunch over Scoliosis Man even further than before, and they creep <laughs> off into the darkness. Meanwhile, Oturo, Ardus, and Bellop are backing away slowly, back to back. So back to back to back, actually. All six of their backs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oturo who is the tallest, trying to just barely peer over the reeds to watch for the others approaching. Luckily, he can stick his head out in the darkness without immediately being visible. And Artis and Bellop gently brushing aside the reeds with little handheld scythes that Aturo has given them. Sickles. Sickles, that's what they're called. <laughs> handheld scythes. <laughs> they're using sickles, and they're using the technique that he taught them, right? Gently now, boys, he says, as they deftly 
whip their sickles side to side to clear a path without creating a trackable path of destroyed reeds, right? You're doing great. Tell me, young artist, as softly as you can, what happened there? I recognize that there was danger and that we are running and that now Long River Village is perhaps not the ally we once knew them to be, but what happened? And he glances at Bell up for a translation. Can I do artist? Yeah. Oh my, oh my God. Uh, Elder Arturo, they tried to cut off his hand. <laughs> and one of them tried to suffocate artists eight times. Good God, that's a large number of times. <laughs> and at that, Oturo covers Artis's mouth because he's getting a little loud. Um, and he also said that someone in Long River Village is older than the world itself. Oturo narrows his eyes. I doubt that can be true, but disconcerting nonetheless. <laughs> Artis nods emphatically. And then, and then wrinkles his skin with his hands. <laughs> so good. Hey, I think I got him. Calls the big boy. What? You got, you got I, what? I got him. And they suddenly can hear the whipping of a spear through the air. The spear whizzes right through the air where Oturo's chest was a mere second ago. Definitely 100% thought you were about to kill Oturo right then and there. 100% thought that's going to happen. <laughs> shit. It's just the name of the story arc is Oturo. And if we were I, I, going to continue this story after this episode, it's going to be fucking tough to do without the person who it's named after. Welcome back, everybody, to episode four of Oturo Jr. <laughs> we never knew one of the babies was also named Oturo. <laughs> Oturo Ducks. Some podcasters in the ether webs uh, informing him that a spear was incoming <laughs> and he ducks and he pushes the boys into the reeds and he says, run, run like an alligator's on your tail. And he turns around, drawing a Glock from it. No, drawing a... <laughs> you always get me with the Glock. Drawing a tool. <laughs> it's the fact that you said tool. That's what fucking got me. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he draws the spear from his pocket as well. We just have collapsible spears in this world. This is not further explained. The more inexplicable the pockets, the better. How do you even have pockets in a reed tunic? I, I mean, yeah, I know. That's why it's like, what the fuck is he Why did you come up with the pockets? What did I come up with the... Yeah, I, I no, didn't come I'm up with the fucking pockets. <laughs> How dare. How dare you accuse me <laughs> of such nonsense. Okay, here's what happens. The spear lands. The boys run. Oturo yanks the spear out of the ground and stands up. Uh, uh, pointing the spear at his assailants, would-be assailants. From three directions now, the scoliosis man, the blotch-faced woman, and the big boy approach Oturo. Ah, you see, this is why I throw, and you just pick up the spears, big boy. Hey, I mean, I would argue that my throw was actually quite good. The trajectory was on point, but he ducked, enough, so... Enough, enough. You. 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 Over there. Who are you? Why are you here? And give us back our stone boy. 
Oturo hesitates. There are two spears pointed at him. That is twice as many as he's holding right now. <laughs> at least twice as many. <laughs> at least twice as many. And <laughs> the big boy is slowly approaching. Oturo jabs the bone tip of his spear toward the big boy. Hold it. I'm willing to talk, but not a step closer. Uh, talk about uh, what? What could you possibly have that we want? Well, you... Unless you're hiding a small stone boy in your pocket. Yeah. Um, first of all, I can answer your questions. I am Oturo of Small Big River Village, a elder of teaching. They all glance at one another. I was simply traveling north. My village was obliterated by the rain and, well, we have nowhere else to go but Long Big River Village. You three are inhabitants of Long Big River Village, aren't you? We were hoping you could help us. The two speaking goons say nothing as the scoliosis endowed man gives a complicated series of eyebrow gestures, but of course Otura has no idea what they mean. But we know that they mean, guys, I really got to pee. Is it okay if I leave you two <laughs> to handle this on your own? <laughs> okay. And the woman just says, you can pee wherever you want. It's nature. Um, I didn't ask about peeing. Is that, <laughs> is that related to the help that you can provide a small bit? Forget about that. Oh. Uh, where is the boy? The boy. The stone boy. We had uh, found him out in the wild, and our great elder has great interest in him. He just disappeared into the reeds, and you must have seen him. Where did he go? I have not seen this boy, but I know the boy of which you speak. His name is Artis, and he belongs to Small Big River Village. He is a member of our tribe and a valued member of our community. <laughs> the big boy speaks up. <laughs> so yeah, that's an interesting point because when Great Elder told us to kidnap or I guess extract the young man, um, I said, but isn't he part of Small Big River Village and wouldn't that be kind of separating him from his family? But then he said that the boy is actually a stone person. So it was in everybody's best interest that he be reunited with his, you know, rightful tribe. Having gained the information that now Long Big River Village wants to kidnap a child of a stone people, <laughs> Oturo narrows his brows. They get even skinnier. And he says, it is true. Artis was adopted by our people, but he is part of our village nonetheless. And yes, he will be missed. And no, he does not belong to us, but... We belong to him in the way a community belongs to itself. He's not a possession to be stolen or extracted. He is a person. He is a life. The blotch-faced woman rolls her eyes. Enough, Doc. We have our orders. Tell us where he is now, or spears will be flying. I don't mean to correct your understanding of linear time, but spears have already flown. It's true. He does have a point that spears have Whatever, already Whatever, she yells. Yes. And at once, throws her spear at Oturo. Is, uh, is Oturo going to die this time? Or is he going to get shot this time? You, like, you control this. This okay. is the beat that I'm giving you. Um, with all of the knowledge and experience that Oturo's collected, there is a reason he is a teacher and less of a doer. 
And that is exemplified no better than the fact that he takes the spear to the knee. Oh, shit. And a howl of pain erupting from his lips. He drops his own spear, and the big boy and Scoliosis Man start rushing forward through the reeds to secure him. But as Arturo drops into the reeds, he starts dragging himself away. Hand over elbow, crawls through the reeds, slipping away as, as quickly as he can, hoping, hoping anything might stand between him and the three approaching goons and their eyes of who knows how many number. <laughs> and then... Somebody fires a Glock in the distance. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, that was thunder. Thunder rumbles in the distance. And then the rain starts gushing over the land. Hamilton? Burr. Hamilton Burr. <laughs> no, no, Aaron Burr. Ham- I'm, I'm, making, I'm making an automatopoetic sound effect. Oh, it's cold. No, it, this is, oh, this is a- the sound of my teeth chattering because oh. that last scene was so tense. Burr. Ooh. Arr, arr, arr. I can't chatter my teeth. Like, Does that even ever happen to anybody? I bet it happens to everybody while listening to Story Jazz Oturo, the most <laughs> teeth-chatteringly scary <laughs> of all story arcs so far. Uh, this is a bi-weekly reminder to brush your teeth, to make sure that you are bathing regularly <laughs> and count wearing your teeth, a mask. Right? Count your count teeth. Your teeth. Send us uh, an email at storyjazzcast <laughs> at gmail.com letting us know how many teeth old you are. Also, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. At Story Jazz Cast. We'd love if you could leave us a review on your podcasting app that helps us gain some notoriety, gain some, gain some more friends, which helps us make the show and, and reach a wider audience. And we'd love to do that. Yeah. Thank you very much for those of you who have already left reviews. It's heart wrenchingly beautiful to read that stuff on, on Apple Podcasts. And also, thank you to our friends over at The Natural Ones. This is a, another D&D podcast that we're cooperating with um, to bring some fans over to them and they bring some fans over to us by running a little promo. It's a little bit of a, a little bit of Fran share going on. Yeah, and so here's our little promo from The Natural Ones. Hey everybody, we are The Natural Ones, a Dungeons and Dragons comedy cast that takes place in the Roselands, an original fantasy world in the land slipping into chaos as the players try to do their best in keeping things in check. Sort of. Join players Jerry, Pat, and Aiden as they roll their way out of whatever Dungeon Master Zectown puts in front of them. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, Google Play, and wherever else you find your podcasts. Find us on Twitter at the Nat Number One S Cast. Again, that's the Nat One S Cast. We are a proud founding member of the A Tale of D Twenties Podcast Network. Wow, we definitely just listened to that, and it was awesome. It was it was great. Um, yes, the natural ones are are very cool, though. You should totally check them out. And hello to all the friends that that came from them. We we look forward to your stay. Welcome, and we love you. We love you. 
Ardis and Bellop are running hand in hand through the reeds, no longer bothering to smack them aside with their sickles. Well, Bellop has given up on doing it properly because they're just moving too fast, but Ardis is swinging back and forth wildly, flailing his tool, uh, sickle, um, (laughs) (laughs) to uh, create a path. (laughs) And as they run, suddenly their noses are filled with an acrid odor, an all-too-familiar odor. The boys look up as thunder rumbles over the horizon, and suddenly rain is splashing onto their faces and onto the reeds around them. They exchange a glance, but no words, as they simply pound the ground harder, run even faster northward toward the forest and the mountains beyond. The sizzle, the crackle, the crusty, crumbling (laughs) sound of reeds falling apart, their veins being filled with this impossible rain, destroying them from within, powderizing them into nothingness. It feels as if death is upon them as they push through, and Artis's sickle-whipping motions seem to cut through sand as the reeds simply disintegrate. But the forest is close. The forest is closer to the river near Long Big River Village than anywhere else. And so in moments, they're under the cover of trees and under the echoey darkness of the forest itself. Scarier, perhaps, than the rain and that which lies within the river. The echoing sounds of animals chirping, squeaking, grumbling in the night. They seem to be in distress, in fear of this destructive rain. Bellop thinks for a moment, how can even the forest, even the mystical forest, the thing they never enter, how can even the forest lie in fear of this rain? But Artis pushes on. (laughs) Artis, where are you going? We don't know. We don't know these lands. We don't know where we're going. Artis! Bellop follows him as he vaults over logs and stones. Artis! And Artis finally stops and turns around to look at his brother. Bellop looks at Artis, confused, unbelieving. What do you mean you've been here? Dem fumbobo. Dachidi le fumbo oregri. Simbeheba. This is such a serious, dramatic scene, but it's just so funny. Um, Bellop considers that for a second. Looks over his <laughs> Almost shoulder. Like he zoned out. <laughs> no, come on, let me. I don't always zone out. <laughs> he looks over his shoulder back south, back toward small big river village and home, and then looks north through the canopies toward the mountains and swallows. All right. If you if you really think that is the safest way for us to go, then then maybe that's what we should do. Sonda. Sonda di bihibiri. An artist extends a hand again. 
Dot can't help but smile a little bit as he takes his brother's hand. His five-year-old brother's hand, by the way. <laughs> this five-year-old is about to guide him through the five jungle. Five teeth old. Five teeth, right. I'm sorry. He's not canonically five years. He's canonically five teeth. He could be 30 years old. If he has five teeth, he's five <laughs> teeth. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Sure. <laughs> I love the rules that we set up for the society. It's just, it's a more civilized age. Yeah. The idea of being able to go forward and backwards in time or in age in by age. losing oh, or gaining yeah. teeth. What, Wonderful. you're still in college? Yeah, but have you seen my mouth? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's that's actually where the don't look a gift horse in the mouth came from because you <laughs> might find out it's a lot older or a lot younger than you thought. Anyway, <laughs> without another word. Without another joke. Um, the boy set off again. This time, artist leading the way, cutting through shrubbery and fern and plant, <laughs> of which shrubbery and ferns are a part of. <laughs> you know... Fl- flora and fauna, fauna. and fungi, fungi. <laughs> and as if possessed by a supernatural sense of direction artist remembers his youth remembers the path he took some teeth ago <laughs> um a path that leads safely through this jungle and to the mountains beyond so back to arturo in the darkness of early, early morning, further darkened by nonstop torrential rain, Oturo limps through crumbling, whitened reeds, staggers, stumbles, <laughs> bumbles, rolls. He lurches his way <laughs> away from where he knows his villages away from where he knows long Big River villages and away from the three goons who are no doubt still looking for him. In fact, he can still hear their voices. I'm pretty sure that he can't move very far with a spear in his knee. Push forward. He can't be far. This rain is particularly disconcerting and the smell, it really digs deep into my sinuses. It kind of Makes me feel a little woozy. And the big man starts to sway back and forth. Well, we don't have time for wooziness, big boy. Yes, but maybe we have time for a nap, <laughs> he says, as he begins to lean further and further over to one side. Scoliosis man catches him. And then he looks at the woman and uh, twirls his eyebrows in an amazing display. We are not... Going back empty-handed. And the scoliosis man looks up and down as if he's got plenty of stuff in his hands. (laughs) Just then, a searing pain shoots through Oturo's leg and he yelps. (laughs) Beautiful. Oh, God. And as he stumbles to the ground uh, and flails one arm for support, he takes out a whole swath of reeds with him that just crumble away. And as he fights to get back onto his legs and peer through the rain toward his pursuers in the darkness. He meets the gleam of the blotchy-faced woman's eyes. And they stare at each other over a swath of disintegrated reeds, over emptiness, eye to eye. But then as she steps forward to go after him, she stumbles too. And the big man stumbles again and 
the scoliosis man can barely hold him and the woman has to <laughs> support the big men as well. And like three pillars of a pyramid, they lean against one another to keep themselves standing. <laughs> <laughs> and Oturo too can feel the wooziness coming up now. He tries to blink it away. He's reminded of the boys, of how when he first found the boys asleep in the reeds, they didn't know why. They didn't know where they'd been. He takes a quick inhalation and smells the acrid, uh, almost salty air. It must be the powder reeds. And as he looks at the three goons, he can see that they are reluctantly turning back and running back towards Long Big River Village through the rain. Or stumbling or lurching or limping. Yeah, probably um, one of those, actually, <laughs> considering their state. Again, on his hands and knees, Aturo worms through the reeds, covering his nose and mouth as best he can. He can see that when the, um, when the reeds turn white and powder up, they are carried up and away on the wind. So he figures that if he keeps his head as close to the ground as possible, he will inhale as little of the reeds as possible. Has he broken off the spear yet, by the way? It seems really hard to <laughs> He's run still if the spear it is around. Like the it's, full it's not as important. There. Maybe he just has like a half-broken spear in his thigh. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's canon. So he used to be he used to be an adventurer until, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, ring, ring. Ring, ring, hello. It's 2012. Um, you've been served. We're going to take you to court over stealing our meme. <laughs> our Skyrim meme. Oturo drags himself uphill, biting his teeth against the pain. All toward, 28 of his teeth. Yes. <laughs> toward maybe some sort of shelter. As he gets woozier and woozier, all he can make out is a shadow of a canopy or something like that. And the shadow of an extremely rotund woman. What? Staring down. <laughs> really? No. What? Who are you referencing? Nothing. I was just fucking running with it. I thought it was a building. I thought we were introducing a character. So I was like, boom, rotund woman. You can do a rotund woman. It's fucking improv. I think we actually need. I think we actually need fewer characters here. We have so many characters. This is true. This is true. Um, but it's just a large, thick-based elm tree that's just extremely right. voluptuous. There you go. And a, a really sexy elm tree. He's been dragging himself for so long, it feels like it's almost getting brighter already when he hugs the tree and pulls himself up on it. Nestling against its bosom. <laughs> and he turns around and sees that the rain seems to be receding. Big titty elm girlfriend. <laughs> You're really focused on this fucking tree. <laughs> oh my God, Sim. Okay, sorry. He's made it out, okay? Arturo He's making out. I guess. He's made it. Fucking there. made it out of the <laughs> deadly situation. As, except he still has a spear lodged in his leg. <sighs> but for now, he's safe. And just as the sun begins to rise over Big River Basin, Oturo falls back onto the forest floor and sleeps. 
I'm so sorry I made that so painful for you to get through. You were like trying to push him through this river and I was just cracking jokes left and right. This is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. You know, that's the beauty of story jazz. It's just chaos. Absolutely. It's pure chaos, folks. <laughs> On the other side of the forest, at the base of the mountain, two boys rip out of the darkness. One of them yodeling and waving a dull scythe back and forth, and the other one nervously looking behind them to ensure they aren't being followed. Artists is no longer relying on memory, but relying now on sight as the first, the first itches. Sight. The sight, yes. Relying on the, this, the power of sight um, <laughs> with his, uh, who knows how many eyes. We don't know how many teeth or eyes children have. Um, <laughs> Please send us an email. <laughs> how many eyes? Mine don't have a normal number, you know? No longer relying on memory, but on sight and sight to see a path winding up the mountain as the first glimmers of dawn creep over the mountain. Bellop is tired. He hasn't slept all night, and he's just sort of trudging. He after. was told explicitly by Karumbe not to sleep. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Man, he's probably the first time he's pulled an all-nighter. He's like, he's, he's, he has these dark circles under his eyes, but he's like, <laughs> I feel energetic. I didn't know the body could do this. <laughs> hey, artist, did you ever realize your name sounds like artist? Like, maybe you were born to paint. Here, have some paint. And he grabs some random blue bushes off of a, <laughs> a blue berries off of a bush and smacks them together between his hands. We could paint, artist. <laughs> and he starts smearing the stuff on his on his face, just sort of manic with sleep deprivation. But Artis is ignoring him, focused and singular, unlike he almost ever has ever been. Um, usually manic <laughs> himself. No, he's focused. He's attentive. He's following a trail, following a trail to a people he remembers only in the faintest, the faintest pieces of his recollection. He's like following a dream. He's chasing nostalgia. And while Artis follows this tunnel vision, Bellop stumbles up the rocky hillside with him and, and is just marveling at everything. The ground is so soft here. Uh, hard, I mean. Boy, my mind is, is mushy. Artis, I think I breathed a lot of those reeds. Remember last time when we got caught in the rain? That time it was more like a, a haze, I think. At least that's what the podcaster said, because they hadn't figured out it was going to be a rain yet. <laughs> oh, man, I'm so woozy. I feel like I can, like, uh, think in the metasphere. <laughs> and then he trips. And he stumbles over something on the ground and flies out of Artis's hand and sprawls across a large, flat stone. And he looks back rising from the ground over which he tripped is a full-grown man. But Colored gray and black and white in a marbly pattern with paint camouflaged into the very mountainside itself. Fuck yeah, that's so cool. The man rises. Bellop stares up at him, his eyes widening, his wooziness receding quickly. Somehow... Slightly ashamed, he wipes the blueberry stuff off of his face. 
swallows and straightens up as this tall man steps up in front of him. Philip says, Are you, are you made of stone? The boss he hit the below for more Kathili. The gears in Bellop's head turn slowly and then faster as he blinks himself to his senses and realizes what's going on. Not only is this a stone man, he's speaking Artis's special language, the language that Artis taught him when they were merely one or two teeth old. Bellop looks over at his brother. A single tear rolls down his brother's face. The two stone people embrace, reunited. And Bellop, his heart warmed by this display of familiarity, lies back. And just fucking passes out. <laughs> and zonks. Zonks. Fucking gone. <laughs> like father, like son. <sighs> Meanwhile, in the glimmering sun, a much less happy, much less joyful scene occurs. It's one of desperation. A village of 40 or 50 naked, destitute, abandoned people with not a possession to their name struggles through the powdering reeds, leaning against one another to keep awake as they inhale the fumes, struggling to survive. An old woman with a cane slapping the the remaining pieces of reed left and right, leading them, covering her face with with a piece of alligator skin. She looks back at her village, and she too wants to cry. They have nothing. They've lost everything. This accursed rain. Their very belongings were melted off of them. Their baskets and tools melted out of their hands, and their clothes melted off of their skin, powderized and blown away. Bringing up the rear we see Matula's mother limping on one leg with a massive gash in her thigh, an alligator bite. Humans were never meant to fend off three-meter alligators with nothing but their nails and teeth, but they have. And she leans on her daughter, young Matula, beside her. A little girl, merely 10 teeth old, carrying two babies on her arms now because the baskets the babies were in are gone as well. The village has survived. And on the horizon, at the edge of the decimated field of reeds, are a few wooden, long, wood-covered huts. The first glimmer of hope since the morning. They can't quite believe what they're seeing as they approach. The huts themselves are made of reeds, But it seems the people of Long Big River Village have built wooden roofs over their abodes. And this wood, 
apparently resists the rain. As the tribe of small Big River Village steps out through the last of the crumbling reeds and onto the dirt thoroughfare that leads into Long Big River Village, the first of the Long Village's inhabitants look up from their daily tasks and start exclaiming. Somebody fetch the, the Great Elder. The Great Elder. We need the Great Elder here. Somebody should get the Great Elder. Well, this looks like a job for the Great Elder. <laughs> All right. It's fine. Guys, I'll get the Great Elder. It's, <laughs> it's, I'll, I'll go do it. You can stop no, talking. No, I shall fetch the Great Elder. And within a few minutes, a crowd is gathered. And out of the longest of the long huts steps an old man, long in his width. I think that's how you described him. Long in his width. <laughs> Wide, but long, <laughs> and three goons, a big boy, a scoliosis riddled man with complicated eyebrows, and a blotchy faced woman who for some reason has an accent while everybody else doesn't. She's from Short Big River Village, of course. Oh, of course. Uh, forgive me. And each of the three goons has a cut in their face, a sharp, precise cut as if from a metal tool. As if shot. By a <laughs> uh, you know how to make me laugh. They wear shame on their faces, but still try to look prideful as they push through the crowd and make way for their great elder. What was the great elder's voice? I think it's like this. Something like this. It's like a lecky light. Yeah. Yeah. On the small big river village side, Elder Karumbe steps forward. What's all this great elder nonsense? You getting full of yourself in your old age, Bosco? <laughs> yes, I was hoping you would give him a name. I didn't expect Bosco. That's great. <laughs> the great elder's upper lip twitches at the mention of that name. Karumbe, welcome to Long Big River Village. He uh, lets his eyes uh, absorb the sorry sight of dozens of dust-covered people leaning against each other, exhausted. What brings you and your <clears throat> people to me? Oh, you know, we thought we'd vacation and, you know, we how we like to travel naked and, you know, expose ourselves <laughs> to everyone we meet, you know. In that moment, the, the woman with the cane falls over <laughs> to the ground. <laughs> no, but, but have you not experienced rain here? I mean, I can tell you're up to no good with your mm, fancy wood houses, ooh, ooh, but you know, it, this this rain has been, <sighs> is hospitality, is, is chivalry dead? Are you gonna invite us in or just gonna stand out here naked and talk about it all day? The concept of chivalry hasn't been invented yet because knights haven't been invented yet, says Bosco. Well, we had quite a night, <laughs> so. <laughs> wow, that's some real banter. Um, oh, by all means, says the great elder. I'm happy to give your tribe shelter. And Karubit takes a half step forward. But if you want to use some of our newly built accommodations, you will have to adhere to the rules of Long Big River Village. And Great Elder Bosco can't help but crack a little smirk. What do you mean, rules? You coming up with new rules now? First it's Great Elder this, and now it's Rule that, and... Yes, rules. Society is nothing without rules. The stone people have shown us civilization is built on rules. Crumbia raises an eyebrow. All right, well, out with the rules. What, 
I wash my feet every morning. What's the deal? I'll have one of my people give you a full list, uh, give you a full rundown at the earliest convenience. But the most important thing is... Lists haven't been invented yet. There's no writing. (laughs) Exactly. But the most important is there's a curfew at sundown. It gets dangerous with the alligators here. That's not so bad. You know, we try to stay inside after dark as well, you know. Why is it going to be a rule, though, you know? You will have to be dressed at all times. I will not have you showing your naked bodies around. Gather some reeds as soon as you can and weave some new clothing. Okay, fair enough. These still feel like, you know, kind of given. They don't need to be rules, right? And overall, whatever I say goes. I am the hierarch of this place. My three guards here, they are my seconds in command. Yes, Yes, Great Elder. Anyone who has lived in Long Big River Village before today and is a true member of the tribe will be third in command. And then you, small Big River Village people, you will have to earn your place. You shall start at the bottom of the chain of command. Anything a Long Villager says is a command to you, and you must obey it or suffer the consequences. And he points at his guards, their three faces marked with the cut, the mark of punishment on their cheeks. Kurumbe puts both of her hands together and she turns around to look at her naked people. Even Aleki, even Matula's mother, the other elders of the village look gaunt and exhausted, and they each take a slow turn and nod to her. And she nods back, and she says, All right, Bosco, we accept. The correct answer is yes, Great Elder, but I'll let that one slide, says the Great Elder. He turns around and starts walking back toward the village center, and the crowd slowly disperses as his guards chase them off. Oh, one more thing. And the great elder turns around to face Karumbe. I'll need tribute. Tribute? We don't have anything. Yes, you do. And great elder Bosco's eyes find their target, Matula, standing in the back. Or more precisely, the two babies in Matula's arms. I think my friends in the mountains would be very interested in those two little beings. Despite how much my fellow elders, and she glances at Aleki, may disagree with me, there is a plane outside. And <laughs> I was I, like, ah, the war is finally starting over there. <laughs> well, it was nice knowing you. 